Welcome to the Albumac. I am your host, Adam, and today we have a very special guest, Evie. Hello. <laughs> it's great to be here. <laughs> so this is, a, a, like I said, a very special episode, very special guest. Um, this is actually going to be part two of um, sort of a, a cross episode. So we just got done with um, Science Sucks, the, uh, the podcast that Evie does. Also on CFMU, I believe, right? You're still on C- still on uh, the radio? Yes, on CFMU, Mondays at 3.30. Yeah. So, yeah. Although uh, things, are up at, uh, things are up in the air with uh, the pandemic, but that's the time <laughs> slot. <laughs> but yeah, so finally we're, we're doing the collaboration that, uh, I don't know, we've been talking about for almost a year now. Yeah. So, uh, so Evie, maybe you can introduce yourself. Uh, Clearly, you came from McMaster if you're on uh, CFMU, but you're not there anymore. Yeah, I can introduce myself a bit. My name is Evie. Um, I am. I was a McMaster student for my undergrad, uh, and I studied psychology and neuroscience. And now I'm at Laurentian University doing my master's in science communication or SciComm. So it's very a very cool program because it's the only SciComm master's program in Canada. So I'm very lucky to be there. Yeah, so that's um, that's a big part of what I want to talk to you about. I'm I'm very interested in this program, but um, but uh, oh, I think that was my dog groaning a little bit. Uh, yeah, we're recording from home, of course, because uh, CFMU is shut down. Um, but yeah, typically what we do is uh, we we try to get to know you a little bit before we we talk about your work. So um, you said you did your undergrad at McMaster. And is that when you started your podcast, Science Sucks? Yeah, the podcast was interesting because it was shortly after I graduated, which was interesting. So the the story of how it started is I started getting really interested in science communication in undergrad at McMaster. I met um, a science communicator who came to a career night that I happened to attend, um, which is lucky that I did because <laughs> he was a science communicator named Anthony Morgan. And he, back in the day, had also gone to McMaster. Um, and so he was coming back for an alumni chat about his career along with several others and he is a science communicator he works on he worked on daily planet um he uh does a lot of sci-com projects like uh going out on the streets of toronto and sharing his science when he came to present he brought a trash can and like spun it around and set it on fire and he's like this is a fire tornado i'm, I'm a science communicator uh, i was so fascinated it was very exciting to see someone so excited about science, especially as an undergrad who was attending lots of lectures that were just long and not always enthusiastic. Um, although many of my props were, um, but no one set a trash can on fire yet. <laughs> um, so I talked to Anthony after and I, I asked if I could find out more about what he did. And I ended up working with him that summer and in consecutive kind of years about, um, doing various SciComm projects. Like I built an escape room using science principles and I went with him on set to Daily Planet one time where he he threw an egg. He got professional baseball players to throw an egg at a curtain and then see if it would break, which it didn't because the curtain um, kind of takes on the impact. And even the professional baseball players who throw it really hard didn't, um, didn't manage to break the egg, which is very fascinating. Um, so these kind of cool SciComm projects, I was so excited about, um, and that's what led me to do science communication. Um, and 
after I had graduated, CFMU put out a call for applications for new shows. I guess they had some time slots open. And so I pitched the show about science called Science Sucks. Um, And we interview different researchers every week and talk about kind of the challenges and we get real about science um, because science is either portrayed as like super cool or like, oh, so boring. Like there's there's definitely not the whole story is told. Um, So we talk about different researchers and the work that they do. Um, So interestingly, my CFMU radio show was after I had already left McMaster. Uh, Yeah. So Science Sucks, the the title is, uh, (laughs) I I think it probably was designed to uh, not necessarily shock you, but get your attention because that's definitely not the message you're trying to get across. For sure. Yeah. I want it to be like cheeky and edgy. And I, I did message a few friends and I was like, is this okay? Is this too much? <laughs> um, but I think it's a, it's a fun title. It's a fun challenge for people to be surprised when they open it. Yeah. And uh, from the episodes that I've listened to, it's, it, it's always at the end of the day, a positive, even if you talk about, you know, issues within science, um, hardships that people go through in the science world or STEM world, people stick it out because science doesn't suck. Science is, science is awesome. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And some things are very important to tackle like um, inequalities in STEM or like the financial struggles that many grad students go through in academia and all these things that really should be said. And they don't take away from a positive experience necessarily. Like they, they are just a part of it that should be tackled. Mm -hmm. I feel like, um, the more and more I get into science communication while being within academia, the, I don't know if it's just me getting deeper into it or if there's a a better light being shone on those issues, but it's becoming much more in the forefront of my mind, at least these issues. I I, got to imagine that it's because people are spending more time talking about it now. Yeah, of course. There's so many things that I didn't even realize about, until I started talking to scientists and doing science communication, like being a parent in STEM and having to take care of your child and like what kind of, what kind of things academia offers and doesn't. So these kind of challenges that I didn't even think of um, Mm -hmm. not being, not being a parent, for example. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I actually, I I spoke to somebody recently um, who is very passionate about sort of, um, uh, accessibility services and things like that in, in academia. And I mean, she had all sorts of things to talk about that. I, I had no idea were issues, um, but I'm glad I know now. So I have a a better sense of empathy for those sort of things. Um, right. Okay. So that's, that's the McMaster. That's the science sucks. Now, temporally, where are we at? Is this, how far away from Concordia are we now? You start Science Sucks, you, you've been doing that for some time, and then what came next? Yeah, so even before Science Sucks, I was doing a bunch of different projects. Like, I had a YouTube channel for a while where I would post, like, science explainers, um, and I was still doing that a little bit, and I would give talks whenever I could, like, at local bars or at events um, or at things like Science Rendezvous in Toronto where um, there's kind of a a giant playground of events on one day of the year for kids. So all these kind of outreach events were really exciting to me. Um, So I ended up applying to the science communication program at at Laurentian. um, And that started in September. And so it was just Adam and I met in August when we took the Concordia uh, Science Journalism Summer Program. And then in September, I started school. 
And the program is only a year. So it's like a full year, not like eight months, but the full year. Um, So right now I'm done the classroom part. So I'm out of school. And this summer was supposed to be for internships, which still will happen just uh, (laughs) online now. So we are, I'm on the hunt for an internship and doing my research, uh, which we do a major kind of research thesis um, as well. And then I'll be done in September. And then I will go forth into the world as a (laughs) science communicator. Interesting. So I didn't realize it was, um, it was 12 months. So, yeah. uh, so you had to be in Sudbury for the, the in-class stuff that, that's just wrapped up. What kind of, what kind of classes were you taking? Oh, yes. This is very exciting. I, uh, the, the courses we took um, are very uh, interesting. So in first term, in September to December, um, we had five courses to take. So it's kind of like a full, full course load. Um, and each of them are a different part of science communication. So one of them was called audiences or audiences and issues. So we learn all about knowing your audience and how to understand who you're talking to and how to um, design content for individual audiences. Um, We also had one on learning theories, which is very psychology based. So how do kids learn? How do adults learn? How do people learn in informal settings like at a science center or at an outreach event? Um, We also had a design theory class where we learned the basics of game design, which is based, which pulls kind of from computer science and the arts. Um, so a lot of architects will use design principles to design spaces, uh, museum experts will design museums using these principles to make sure people, like there's a flow of people and things that should be touched are being touched and things that shouldn't be touched aren't being touched. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. A whole... That sounds interesting as heck. I would love to take that course. <laughs> Yeah. And we, we had a project where we had to design a game and uh, there were different, it was actually so much fun because our teacher pulled out of a hat, basically different topics and different audiences to mix and match them randomly. So one group had to explain nutrition to uh, adults at a, like a science nightlife event. So it'd be like adults who are drinking have to explain to them, you have to explain to them like the nutrition Canada's nutrition guide. Um, another group okay. had to, they they got the topic of bears and they had like bear conservation or bear safety and they had to explain it to teens. So that was their audience. It's really funny. Like they have to explain bear safety to teens and why would they care? Teens from Toronto or teens from Sudbury? Teens from Sudbury. So that there's different context there. Teens from Sudbury might be more bear aware. Um. Yeah. So you designed a game? Can we play your game? Can you share your game? <laughs> our game is absolutely playable because our audience was actually girl guides and our topic was like forestry and trees, which actually worked really well because girl guides are into that stuff already. Um, so our game was kind of like a game of tag ish um but you had to collect different tree tokens and then build your biodiverse forest so absolutely uh we can play that game (laughs) sweet (laughs) it was very very fun some people had like a little board game going on some people had a like a spinning wheel trivia style um it was very fun. So that was game design. And some of these things definitely apply to like building museum exhibits or building a science 
physical display um, mm. because we learn how kids will go and touch like everything, even though <laughs> something shouldn't be touched. So you have to make it obvious, like what can be moved and tampered with and what should not be. Um, and that's really interesting thinking from a design perspective. Yeah. We also had we also had a class on rhetoric, which is about kind of it was very interesting, kind of like high school English class uh, where you learn about metaphors and hyperboles. And it was taught by an English prof who teaches uh, in her like act, like she teaches our science communication class. But when she's not doing science communication, she teaches classical oration, which is like ancient Greek speech giving like in a Shakespeare's Julius Caesar or something when they go off and they speak for hours on a topic like that kind of oration oratory (laughs) (laughs) so that that was wild we learned about how to like establish your credibility and uh you know use like logos and pathos and ethos these like ancient Greek terms just fascinating yeah um Yeah. yeah that that's sweet yeah those are all things that um you do not learn in a traditional science uh, <laughs> undergrad. Of course, unless you like are just a curious person who takes courses that are not rela- related to your field. Um, yeah. But who 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 does that? Like who knows to do that? Um, yeah, for sure. Was there any any course in particular that you had a lot of trouble with? Like just was very foreign to you. Was was hard to um, you know get into the swing of. Hmm. That's a good question. Let me see. Hmm. I think I feel like I was I came from a background where I was familiar with some of the content. For example, psychology, like my background is in psychology. So like learning theories I was quite familiar with. And um even um like the English aspect, I'm really interested in language. So I was quite familiar with that. Whereas many of my classmates were like, what is a metaphor? Like, what are these things? <laughs> um, it was kind of overwhelming because um, if people haven't done language studies since high school, right? Um, mm-hmm. But for me, I think a challenging class in terms of the theory was design um, because it was a little bit rooted in computer science and um like does testing games. So there's a lot of something called user testing where you build a game. It could be like a software game or a physical game. And then you have to get people to play it and give feedback, but the feedback has to be very structured. So like, what did you think? What did you click here? What is like, what, what is the pathway of clicks? Like that kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure if it's making sense as I'm saying it, but uh, it was a bit complicated. Yeah, very granular and specific. Yeah, and I've never done that kind of formal feedback before um, in terms of, like, if you think about it, if you write something or if you do a project, you it's hard to get formal feedback, like a list of specific feedback that has to be improved. Um, so that was really interesting for me to huh. study. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's the argument of, like, having a rubric when you're grading somebody is, like, a, a very rudimentary form of that, I guess. Would, would you say that's accurate? <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of like a rubric. You have, like, if you're, we had to test a citizen science website. So we went on a citizen science website. Like, we had one about bird plumage, and you'd like record the color of the bird um, to, for study. Like, it's like a database. And so we had to ask classmates to give feedback on this website. And we had to ask some very specific questions and make sure we hit, hit all our points um, about like the homepage and this page and like these kind of, website design principles, which can seem 
at first glance, like not relevant to science communication. Um, but it definitely is because whether you're building an exhibit or you're building an event, which people will go to, or you're even writing a story or designing an infographic, you need to think about like where people's eyes are going or where they're, how they're going to like travel through your experience. So it's very fascinating. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess it's, it's not what I would traditionally think of as science communication, but it's like a, a skill that you really, really should have to be an efficient one. Science communication yeah. is cool. Yeah, it's like you you often think of science communication like, do you give a good talk? Do you write a good article? Um, but there's like behind the scenes, like, do you know your audience? Do you um, like, did you create this an experience that's like relevant to the people? Um, are mm-hmm. like those kind of cool behind the scenes science communication we, we learned about. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, yeah. Yeah. did you ever do the three minute thesis? Or, or I you did, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did, did you ever meet John Bandler? No. Professor? Okay. He's oh, a- yes, yes. Um, I, I met him briefly through uh, like students who were doing the three minute thesis around me, like Michelle okay. Obronik. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. yeah talking to him, it, it sounds a lot like what you're saying is uh, people who are really good at communicating and are really good at presenting their stuff. It comes off so naturally and so easy, but there's so much groundwork that goes on behind the scenes that they're experts in that you never would really think about until you really formalize it. And it sounds like that is what your design courses kind of yeah, trying to do. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Cool. There's a lot of, like, I think that a lot of people think science communicators are all like just just naturally good speakers or naturally good writers. But it like when you do the behind the scenes work, it becomes really cool. Hmm. That's really nice. Um, so then you uh, you said you have a, a thesis component, and I imagine during this whole uh, isolation period, you're having a lot of time to uh, to write that and get working on that. <laughs> yeah, in our in our second term, we have less like coursework and more uh, practical kind of projects. Uh, so January to April, we had a few courses that were like how to give a good presentation is like presentation practice and doing communication plans, like how to outline kind of the goals of your communication, things like that. Uh, we had like a video design course where like video audio, like traditional media where we did some camera work. Um, and then now that that's all done, I feel like we have more, more practical skills in addition to the theoretical. Uh, so now, yeah, now we're off into the world doing our research and, um, our internships. So yeah, the, the research that I'm doing, we all have kind of different topics, um, that are all, I'm sure like if I talk to you about it, Adam, you'll be like, whoa, each topic is really exciting, like mm-hmm. and unique. Um, cause it's science communication research, which is a, even science communicators often don't know that there is science communication research out there. Um, yeah. So my research is on, uh, co- science communication training in Canadian graduate students. So I'm sure, you would fall under that, Adam, like you are a Canadian graduate student. So I'm looking at what kind of uh, training opportunities students have access to. And if there's like obvious gaps that could be uh, improved. Yeah. Okay. So, so the obvious gap that I'm seeing is that Laurentian is, you said the only science communication master's program in Canada. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, there's definitely more than just that program in the world. Do you think, do you think we have, 
you think Canada needs more of those sorts of programs? Or as you're going through this um, research, are you thinking there should be more certificate type programs or things more like the Concordia thing we went to? What, what's your take? Yeah, I I am someone indiv- like as an individual who's very passionate about science communication. So I think that there should definitely be more training um, available. Not everyone will become a science communicator. Like not every scientist will become a full time science communicator. So there there definitely needs to be more availability of like science communication training for not just people who want to be science communicators, but also scientists who would benefit from better communication practice. Um, so I think there's definitely like there, I would love if there was more full-time programs like mine in Canada, but also I, it would be really cool to have more training for um, s- students who are doing physics or biology or chemistry, because then they could better share their own research and also uh, perhaps go into something like policy or government or teaching or um, pu- public relations in a way that's science informed um, as opposed to like, currently a lot of, for example, the government, like people who work in um, the House of Commons, for example, are not scientists. So it would be really cool to have more scientists in all kinds of fields who are trained Mm, and know mm -hmm. how to share that with the public. Yeah. I hope that answered your question a little bit. Yeah, for sure. um, Yeah, Yeah, basically, it would be nice to have some more full-time programs, but having even sort of one-off courses or whatever as a a requirement of say like an undergrad or a master's program would be useful because science communication, whether you do it full-time or as part of your research job, it's kind of every researcher's job to be able to do it to some extent. Yeah, definitely. Like not everyone needs to, you know, have a science social media or have a science, um, give talks, like not every single person. Um, wants to do that but it would be beneficial if like there's a lot of stories of gaps in understanding between scientists and policymakers or scientists and the education curriculum like for for elementary and high school students or like law like laws are often not great at catching up with like rapidly advancing technology Um, yeah so we need need more people to be trained in that but yeah it would be awesome if there was more full-time science communicators and we there's a lot of discussion in our program about professionalizing science communication because um we there was discussion with my with my prof and my program about how we don't have like a union or a standard or like um like a, a a credential like you like for engineers you can be like a professional engineer and you can get that certificate and then that's your license or like a doctor you have a license so there's certain fields that are professionalized um and science communication like is very um, kind of like a wild west right now so it we, there's discussion about that um i don't necessarily have like a, a firm answer because sometimes you want to professionalize it but you also don't want to make it a barrier to people like oh you need this degree or you need to pay money to do this uh annual to update your annual license (laughs) so there's there's definitely discussion of that and i think it's really cool that science communication is growing and reaching those discussions that's really interesting something i never really would have thought of um i guess having not thought about it at all my instinct would to say would be to say professionalizing it isn't a good idea, but I would love to hear the other side of that. Yeah, it's 
It's interesting. Yeah, for sure. It would be a like a barrier or it would set limitations or it would make only one kind of communicator, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the struggle with SciComm is often like getting paid and like real showing the value of your work. <laughs> so um, that is right. Um, okay. With that might be like an argument for professionalizing it. Like I have these credentials and I deserve to be paid because often I feel like I've been thinking about this, how, you know, journalists are journalists and obviously journalism is struggling right now as a field as well um, as in this current time in life and decade. Um, but uh, there, there's like a, a field known as journalism and journalism is like paid and understood um, as something that should be like valued. Um, whereas I feel like science communication often doesn't have those like, standards but yeah it's just an interesting thought I don't think that I have an answer like whether or not it should be and I think it's very important to not leave people behind like you have to get this degree you have to get this you have to get that and then you're financially limiting people or you're like leaving out very important voices Um, so for sure that's like a huge priority for me personally to not leave people behind yeah for sure that that's kind of the first thing that came to mind when uh forming my very initial take on don't professionalize it. But yeah, having it be less Wild West is a really good point too, I guess. Yeah. And maybe the answer is to to value it, to value it more. I think another interesting thing about science communication that it's a bit like feminized, like we discussed this in our program, how there's a lot of women doing science communication is is seen as something like empathetic and um, like out of the goodness of your heart or the goodness of, for the world. Um, But that can often devalue it. And that's a whole other issue about how like certain careers are like feminized or seen as like a caretaker or or, like a, a certain like kind of place in society. That's another interesting thing to think about. Yeah, and I guess that kind of plays into the question or the debate of like the difference between science communication and science journalism, maybe, where like communicators might be seen as like people who are just advertising for science or advertising for their own lab. In which case, you know, if you're doing science communication to talk about your own work as like a professional full time researcher, maybe you don't get paid for that. Maybe exposure is what you are searching for and that's your payment but there's definitely a full different class of people where that's not the case and they actually do need to get paid so maybe having a professionalized bit would differentiate between those two people yeah it's hard because uh science communication like a lot of people fall under this umbrella it could be someone who is like a researcher sharing their own research or someone who's sharing science on social media or someone who is like trying to make a living you doing consulting or teaching in science communication. So mm-hmm. that is challenging. I think a lot of people would push back on like science communication is just science promotion because it could often be evidence-based and uh, like a very important aspect. Like we talk about like making briefing notes for politicians, which basically means scientists do like a two page summary or a one page summary of an important research that's coming out that needs to be incorporated into policy and they give it. And that's often like a whole, it's a very important thing to write like accurate briefing notes that politicians can briefly skim and then use that to make policy. Um, Mm -hmm. So all of these like things are, I don't know. Yeah. It's not, um, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to say science communication should be this when it is so broad. Yeah. Um, So I think like that's a science communicator. So is the person who puts together a children's museum. 
and like yeah their goals are completely different exactly yeah and so so it's like a volunteer who's talking to kids in the community about you know doing science experiments with them so I think that the discussion needs to be further and like should not leave people behind um, but yeah, yeah, I, I personally have a lot of trouble with science being science communication being underfunded and undervalued uh, personally, because then that means I can't make a living and I'm doing other things on my path to do that. Um, so that is is challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then the last part of the program that we haven't talked about yet is the um, internship, right? Yeah. So you are submitting applications for that now, or have you gotten a placement yet? Certainly you're not there right now. Um. (laughs) Yeah, we got the word that during the pandemic, currently everything has to be online. So we have to, we can't like go to a science center. All all of them are closed. Um, So (laughs) it is a unique time. Um, In the past, students have gotten placements kind of all over. Um, Some people even went as far as like CERN, like in in Europe, like working in their lab on communications at CERN or um, have been to science centers around the world. So there's all kinds of cool placements that you can do. Um, currently, yeah, all of ours will have to be online. So we have several avenues to do that. So we can just apply to jobs spontaneously on our own. That's like an option. And then if you get that job, that can serve as your internship uh, or you can apply to like professional internships, like some companies will have intern options. Um, but yeah, and we also have some people that reach out to our program and are like, we could love a student to work for us in this category. So still on the hunt, still kind of navigating both like the relationships that my profs have with companies that they could, I could reach out through them or also apply to jobs on my own and see mm-hmm. what is best. Yeah. Is there like a, a class of job that you are really searching for like is are you looking for a policy thing or would you be interested in a museum type thing or is there anything that you feel very passionate about yeah our our program is very uh, like my classmates and I are so diverse in our interests it's really one of my favorite parts of the program is that everyone's so different like some people want to work in healthcare, some people want to work in policy some people want to work in public policy and like public health and so there's so many different things that people want to do um so I personally am very interested in science TV and video. Um, Personally, in my future career, I would love to be on a science TV show or a YouTube channel, these kind of host roles. Uh, So that's obviously very weird to look for in an internship. So I'm looking for (laughs) things like uh, like script writing or like media, like podcasting, like these kind of jobs in media, um, which is very interesting. And I think I'm one of the only ones in my program interested in that. Um, so I'm kind of looking at different podcasts and YouTube channels and, uh, but I'd be happy even creating content for like a lab or another organization. Um, I know that some labs and, uh, science centers and all these kind of organizations put out cool videos or put out cool content. Um, so, I'd be happy to to be with all different kinds of organizations. Like I'm, I I don't expect to ha- have a science TV show pop up right now, but um, yeah. anything related to that would be exciting. That's a, actually an interesting point. Looking at labs in particular, and that kind of reminds me of somebody who came to McMaster when I kind of started my masters. Um, I think his name was Andrew Pelling from. Oh, he might have been from Queens or somewhere around there. But uh, he's a like a soft matter slash stem cell type guy who 
keeps an artist in residence as part of his research team. Um, maybe he would be looking for a science communicator in residence. That could be really cool. That would be really cool. I should ask more about that because I have fewer, I think I have a lot of science communication friends, but I don't have that many like research. Like I don't, I don't have that many connections in like the giant research world. Um, so that'd be a good place to look. That'd be awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, another one that, um, just sort of stuck out to me when I was getting a little bit more interested in looking at science policy stuff. Have you heard of evidence for democracy? Yeah, I've heard of them before. Okay. I, um, I put my name in as like a potential volunteer and mentioned that I had some amount of podcast experience and they seemed interested, but didn't have any specific projects that they could think of off the top of their head to start. But I'm sure if you pitch something to them, they would be very interested. Um, whether it's just like making some sort of digestible version of their materials that they make. I, I think that would be a really cool option, maybe. That sounds really awesome. Yeah, I should reach out. I have been reaching out a little bit. It feels weird uh, to just reach out to someone and be like, I have a cool project. Do you want to collaborate? Um, but science communication definitely lends itself to that. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure whoever you reach out to, if you say that sort of thing, they'll just be they'll be honored that you found their work interesting and like worth making that potentially awkward initial email. That is true. That is true. <laughs> yeah, I find it really interesting in science communication that it's not like uh, being a doctor or being a nurse or being a like a lawyer where you have to go to a certain like through a certain academic process to get there, right? Like you have to go to this school or that school, but in science communication, you can kind of reach out and try new things and it's both nerve wracking and exciting. Yeah. That beauty of the, the wild West <laughs> right now. Yeah. I'd imagine um, we're kind of hitting science communication at uh, an ideal time. If you want to, you know, explore all sorts, all sorts of stuff. I would imagine like in 10 years or 20 years, things are going to be a little bit more formulaic. So, I mean, pros and cons at this point, it's the wild west, but you can also kind of do whatever you want. Yeah. I never thought of it that way, that it, we're lucky to be in this kind of uncertain time in a, in a way, because you can explore different things. And it's still yeah. New. It's also the problem of, you know, getting paid. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting that, yeah, science communication is new in the like uh in a, in a way that it's prominent more prominent than it has been before but it's it has a deep and interesting history for decades and centuries and millennia so it's to so saying like science communication is just starting now is un definitely unfair <laughs> i think to yeah, we're like two two young people being like oh we invented science communication <laughs> when it's it's been especially in um like a lot of like public lectures and these kind of practices have been going on for or like uh even darwin would like write write his book for the public like the origin of species so for centuries people have been communicating important content um like including science research <laughs> yeah i think um i'm improperly biased just coming from ontario um i did a little bit of research before our concordia thing um i guess quebec has just this illustrious history of science communication like for years and years and years, they have all sorts of magazines and it's just something that I guess culturally they've really valued for a long time. So that is true. I really need to dive into what they do that, I don't know, maybe we can bring to Ontario. 
For sure, yeah. And in it's in if it's in French, then we uh, like English speakers are not accessing it, perhaps. So then it's staying in that bubble, and we don't know about it. But it's so important to kind of see those other histories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw science yeah. magazines like just like in the grocery store that we don't have in Ontario, just like science general interest stuff. And it's like, what the hell? Cool. <laughs> why, do, why do they get stuff and we don't? <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool and and in england of course there's a lot like my my uh the director of our program chantelle um barrio she did her master's in in the uk and so she has that background um and many many canadian science communicators come from england and have the kind of background of the history of like these royal lectures these these like lectures of uh scientists sharing it with the public so there's all oh, places yeah. around the world yeah the and Academy. obviously like yeah, <laughs> there would be something called the Christmas lectures where like on Christmas Day, there would be hundreds of people would come into this room and listen to science lectures, which seems so wild. But that's only one of many examples um, that would happen around the world. Yeah, I guess back then everything sucked and was super boring. So like even the most dry science lecture was probably the coolest thing you could imagine. That is a bold take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I totally believe that. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I definitely, I feel like I'm on this podcast, like representing science communication, but I'm definitely no expert. And I, I have been called out before to be like, hey, you didn't know this, like, history of science communication thing, or you didn't know, like, this other, like, you are not the first person to do this, like, keep that in mind. And I think that's very humbling and very important that um, we are coming from different worlds. And it's important to keep in mind the people who have done this before us and are still doing it in many different ways. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I uh, I wouldn't have thought of that. Maybe that's yeah. just like a a young man issue of being very uh, showboaty and uh, tr- pseudo trailblazing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, or or when you discover science communication as an individual, you're like a whole new world. This is so exciting. <laughs> um, but it's it's obviously things have been there before you as well, and and you're we're all learning from each other. Yeah, we have our. Uh, our Aladdin Princess Jasmine moment of finding the whole new world. Yes. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, um, maybe we should start to wrap up a little bit. Before we do, though, um, where can we find your stuff? Certainly Science Sucks. Um, that is, I mean, probably one of the better ways to find you, but you're on social media too. Do you have a website or something you'd like to share or... Yeah, on science, uh, on social media, I'm at Science with Evie on Twitter and Instagram. So I'm on there a lot. And I am working on a website that is in progress and hopefully will be up with like the podcast episodes and my own portfolio and things I do. Um, But that is a work in progress. So if it's out, I'll let you know and you can link it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate uh, getting this opportunity and, uh, you know, having this this really cool two-part um collaboration episode this is this was fun awesome yeah it was really fun to be on the show thank you for having me (laughs) and we're done